It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. We got new college football playoff rankings, the penultimate college football playoff rankings for the 2023 season. Jesse Simonton, what do we think? We, we're not surprised, I don't think, by anything in the top five. I think that that shook out exactly how everybody thought they would. I was surprised that Ohio State was six because I had kind of said, all right, they're probably out of it. But I can now envision a scenario where Ohio State makes it. I, I don't. I don't see your optimism there, even even amid the chaos. Uh, it would take some chaos, but this weekend, I've, I had Ohio State six in my in my in my predictions. I thought the committee would slot them there because I thought three point or one score loss, excuse me, on the road to a rival. I think it's also just an easy excuse that let the chips play out how they may next this coming weekend with Texas, Oregon, Alabama. And there are absolutely arguments where all three of those teams would leapfrog a team like Ohio State that's sitting at home. So it would take a lot of losses. Your old boss, Stuart Mandel, I think, tweeted out a bunch of machinations. Coworker. Coworker, okay. (laughs) Okay. I thought he was the editor-in-chief. I thought he was the – Three three on titles there pretty pretty – Really, I got really. you. Uh, former co-worker at the yeah. athletic, I should say. I will I will uh excuse my correction <laughs> there. But he had a he had I love a, you, Stuart. he had a he had a tweet that was basically like all these machinations, and it was gonna take a lot for Ohio State to get in. So uh H Sklar in the chat, Bama and Texas don't get a chance to rematch their one loss, but Oregon is rewarded because they do make it make sense. I don't think Oregon is rewarded over Alabama or Texas. I think Alabama will get into the playoff if it beats Georgia. Like it's not like it matters that Alabama doesn't play Texas to get a chance to avenge its loss. If Alabama beats Georgia, Alabama's going to be in the playoff. It's a matter of what what manner of chaos that causes everywhere else. Uh, as for Texas, it would probably be helpful if they got to play Oklahoma rather than Oklahoma State. But this is this is how Oklahoma should have beaten Oklahoma State. If they wanted to play Texas again, yeah, I mean the win the wins and losses matter. They matter, and and you know Tex, Texas is. I will say, Boo Corgan got asked a very pointed question by Reese Davis tonight about why is Oregon ranked ahead of Texas. Oregon basically mm-hmm. skull drug Texas Tech. Oregon had a close, you know, win against Texas right. Tech. Texas has the win against Alabama. Texas has a strength of schedule that's 40 points better than Oregon. Uh, and Boo basically said, well, the Ducks have been more impressive. I mean, that's not exactly what he said, but that was his. Yeah, he's been, they've been blowing answer. teams out. Texas blew Texas Tech out, but has not been blowing everybody out. Matt in the chat with Bama at eight and Georgia at one. There's no way Bama gets in unless they beat Georgia by three scores or more. Georgia seems in no matter what. Matt, I'm telling you right now, if Alabama beats Georgia by one point, they're in. Yes, yeah, I agree. There's, 
There's only one team the committee loves more than Georgia, and it's Bama. And Herb Street said, you know, Herb Street made a good point too, though. It's going to be very hard for the committee to leave out Georgia no matter what happens this weekend in Atlanta. Now, we can see scenarios, Florida State again, deserving versus best. Without Jordan Travis, they are not one of the best four teams. If they go undefeated, they will absolutely be deserving of being one of the four teams. So here's here's the thing with Florida State. I The more I think about this, the more I think about 2014, we've only seen this situation once. Ohio State has Jordan Travis go down in the Michigan uh, – Jordan Travis. Ohio State has JT Barrett, their version of Jordan Travis, go down in the Michigan game. Cardell Jones comes in. He's got the Big Ten championship game against Wisconsin to prove – that they are the same team or better with him versus JT Barrett. They win 59 to nothing. They're in. I can safely say that if Florida State beats Louisville 59 to nothing, they're going to be in. That said, I don't know that they will. We saw Tate Rodemaker in a full game against Florida. He does not seem like he's going to have the, the dominant performance that we saw Cardell have. In 2014, Chris Callahan in the chat says, am I crazy? But if Bama beats Georgia, would FSU be in trouble and left out? You're not crazy. They'd be very much in trouble. The the other part of Bama beating Georgia that makes it really interesting is the Texas factor. Because if Texas and Alabama hadn't played, none of this would matter. They just say, oh, Alabama's in and Georgia's probably in too. But because Texas beat Alabama and they'd both be 12 and one, and we're assuming Texas beats Oklahoma State in this scenario, you got to have Texas above Alabama more than likely, unless you're going to do some mental gymnastics on that. But, and I think the committee is, is, is limber enough, Andy, to maybe do those mental gymnastics. <laughs> I, I think, I think they, they've done some stretching here while that, while they've been hanging out in the hotel where, where I think they can find a way, you know, who else doesn't foresee 59, nothing in Florida state Louisville. That would be the, the, the folks out there in the desert. <laughs> in because the desert. That spread now. is, that, that that spread is, I think, hovering around three points. Yeah, it's getting tighter and tighter. Elias Gray with a very good point in the chat. The issue is the college football playoff committee is basically a glorified work meeting, and people talk other people into stupid ideas all the time in work meetings. That is probably the best description of this entire process that I have ever seen. So thank you, Elias, for that. The amendum, the amendum to that, Andy, is that these first six, six shows – of the rankings are basically this could have been an email. That's exactly right. <laughs> like, right? Exactly. Like until, until we get to Sunday, basically everything we've done up to this point is in un, like many work meetings, no shots to all the work meetings. Matt, again, has anyone jumped as uh, could have been an email? Matt, again, has anyone jumped as many spots as Bama would have to jump in one poll? I think the committee is looking at some analytics like the plus minus yards per play and average margin of victory. Bama's aren't elite this year. Matt sounds like he's scared of Alabama. He's a Georgia fan. Uh, Matt, again, I'm going to tell you again. If Alabama beats Georgia, which I don't think is going to happen, which Vegas doesn't think is going to happen, Alabama's going to get in. And probably Georgia, too. I'd say it's a better than 50% chance they both get in in that scenario. No lies told. The better yeah. question, I think, Andy, or the, I think the more interesting debate, honestly, Andy, is what happens if it plays out chalk in the mm-hmm. SEC championship game Yep. and the Big Ten, which, you know, is expected. I don't know what – I know I know you picked uh, Michigan to cover. I think the bigger, <laughs> bigger question is can Iowa hit their Score over at all? 
Well, they, you, do you know what their do you know what their point total is? Their team total is it is yeah. it four? It's six. <laughs> it's too high. Do you have it oh, too high. Okay, so so you're taking the under there. So if that plays out, Georgia wins, Michigan wins. Who gets in? Then I think it becomes a more interesting debate. Right. Okay. Between Florida State winning. If Oregon upsets Washington or beats Washington, not upsets, but revenges the loss, and then I don't, I don't think it matters who wins that game. the The winner of that game in this scenario that we're talking about is in. Okay. So, so then it's Texas versus Florida State. It's exactly right. You'd have a twelve and one Texas versus a thirteen and zero Florida State. The cleanest way this all happens is if Texas or Florida State were to lose and the other were to win. That would make it easy, but. Yes, the committee's going to have to make that choice. They're going to have to decide, do we think Texas is better than Florida State? And the debate of deserving versus best comes into play here. The committee's charge, according to the commissioners who created the system, is to find the four best teams. As was pointed out on the ESPN show, sometimes they've gone best, sometimes they've gone most deserving. And they'll retcon a reason after they figure that out, if it's, if, well, if Florida state does the 59 to nothing thing, they're going to get in. But if this is a really tight game and Florida state wins in overtime or wins, you know, in a sloppy game and Texas blows the doors off of Oklahoma state, I think there's a very good chance. Somebody in that room is going to say, are we sure Florida state would win if they played Texas? Well, I think they would say, I mean, there it would be it would be hard to make an argument. Has Florida that, State played anyone as good as Oklahoma, the team that beat Texas? LSU would be the LSU. I would say answer. I would say L, I would say LSU was probably, but LSU uh, was ranked comparable. lower than Oklahoma, right? And Texas did get a little bit of a. I, I, you know, it was interesting, Andy. We don't normally pay attention a lot to the back of the rankings, but. The committee keeping Kansas State in there yep. is notable uh, for Texas's resume, right? And, and but to answer remember, K State doesn't I, play like, again, so they're probably not right. going to drop out either. Exactly. And to answer your question, I do think it it would be hard to make an argument that Florida State with Tate Rodemaker would beat Texas, right? So you have to hope the committee decides to go for most deserving in that that spot if you're Florida State. And they say, you know what? You're a 13-0 Power 5 champ. You are in. That is That would be the reason. The reason is you're a 13-0 Power 5 champ. It wouldn't be they think you're better than Texas. But that's fine because that gets you in. And you get to play right. Georgia. And, and yeah, I was going to say, and then it would be the antithesis of a year ago where Georgia kind of got, uh, not hosed, yeah. but you know they yeah. certainly didn't want to have to play. They would have much rather have, have got, had played TCU you know, in the semifinals than having to face off against Ohio State, whereas, whereas you would get that layup. Now, the irony is, Andy, if there is some sort of chaos and Georgia gets in as the four, you know who gets hammered with that one this time? It's Michigan. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> now, let me, let me oh, throw you're this the number you. one seed. Yeah, congratulations. You get the hardest game. You know, you know what? I, I want to ask you this. Of the teams five through eight, Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, which one has the best chance to beat Georgia? Well, we're going to see one of them play Georgia, but we don't know what the answer to that is yet because we haven't seen it happen. So if you, if I just gave you truth serum and said of these four teams, 
Who would scare Georgia the most? Who would scare Georgia the most? Alabama. Where's Ohio State among those four? I actually think this version of Ohio State is probably at the bottom of those four. That's what because I think, I, too. I, I've, I've I had some pushback have, on that. They don't have the – this is not last year's Ohio State that pushed Georgia to the brink with C.J. Stroud at quarterback. Right. You don't, ha- you don't have the game changer there. I know you have Marvin Harrison and Mbuka, and you have Travion Henderson, but Georgia has a much more explosive offense than Michigan. And so I think even if maybe the, the defense would allow a little bit more, maybe the defense is a little looser, they're going to be able to put up points against Ohio State. And so I yeah. just don't think Ohio State can match the firepower, whereas at least Oregon, the upside with Bo Nix, you have that you know host of playmakers at wide receiver for both Texas and the Ducks. I, I would I would put Ohio State you know fourth in that in that category. Yeah, I, I think Texas should be kicking itself for being as inconsistent as it has been all season because Texas has the dudes to beat anybody on this list. The problem is they've been inconsistent enough to lose to anybody on this list, and I think that's where they're going to run into problems when when the, all of this gets evaluated. It would really help them to beat Oklahoma State the same way they beat Texas Tech. Really help them. I do think they'll miss Jonathan Brooks against the yes. best teams. I, I agree. I, 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 th- I, think, I think that it, you know his loss was a little bit not undersold or overshadowed, so to speak, but because they beat Texas Tech so handedly, it wasn't at the forehead, for, forefront of mind. Whereas when you're playing the best teams, missing perhaps – who has been their most consistent offensive playmaker, the one true, you know, consistent guy. I think that's going to be something that they miss if they do kind of find their way in. Yeah, but I'd still put the, you know, A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jatavian Sanders. For sure, CJ, for sure. C.J. Baxter even up against a lot of skill position groups that we're talking about. So I, I do think from a dude's standpoint, as as – me and, and my former co-host Ari Wasserman used to say dudes everywhere. Texas is much more dudes everywhere than they have been and you know, could play with a Michigan, Could I think could play with a Georgia, and I'd like to see that. But I don't know if we're going to get to see that. I, you know, the, the cleanest way this happens, Jesse, is Georgia wins, Michigan wins, it doesn't matter who wins the Pac-12, and then – one of Florida State win and Texas wins, and one of them loses because then the committee can just go to sleep on Saturday night, wake up, eat some nice, you know, hotel bacon, and put those four in and and call it a day. Anything else is going to require a very controversial argument. It is going to require somebody getting really mad and feeling really screwed. So I ask you this. I know you're a huge proponent of the 12 team playoff. I am I am much much more tepid uh and while I'm not a, a downright, you know, anti-playoff expansionist, I I do would would much rather have a 6 or 8 team field than than go to 12. Can you at least admit this scenario that we're facing this conference championship weekend would have just an, an, a, a thimble of the stakes next season because all these teams would get in. No, Whereas right now because, because we're talking debate. about buys, we're talking about seating, we're talking about home games, we're talking about road games, and there's still teams that could get in. Like, and remember, 
Iowa's not but playing in the Big Ten Championship game. game this this time next year. Right, but all these teams, but but there is no like Michigan, yeah. Georgia, Washington, mm-hmm. Oregon, Texas, Alabama. Win but, lose, they're but all. But whether three. you've got to win four games or three is a very big deal. Whether you start at home or on the road is a very big deal, and these games will determine all that. And oh, by the way, Jesse, then we get the actual playoff games. So these games will also matter, maybe not quite as much, followed by way better games that matter way more. I just think I just think you're right. Ultimately, they will matter more down the road. But I think folks are not going to care nearly as much about seeding as they are about. Yes, they will. One of the because it's football and it's on their TV and their team has a chance to win. And oh, by the way, I'm not seeding. I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing whether people are going to watch. People are definitely going to watch. I'm talking about in terms of stakes, in terms of it, 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 folks are going to care. They're going to care a lot more. Whoever went, if Alabama loses on Saturday. They're going to care about who their team is playing. And the results of these games will determine who their team is playing. Like that matters to everybody. Like if you're an Alabama fan, you want to know who you're playing, when you're playing, and where you're playing. And all of these games will determine that. So that's the thing. I mean, you can say this is this is higher stakes. It is higher stakes. But you know what will be higher stakes than this? The first round of the playoff, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the final. All of that is still to come. Right now, the only thing we have to come is the semifinals and the final. So we're we're, going to have a net gain here. And we're not going to have a crappy Orange Bowl that nobody cares about. That I can agree with that. Yeah. The, the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole notion that bowl games have essentially become meaningless is disappointing. And that is through no fault, but the media's own, because we have said too many folks have repeated the phrase, these games are meaningless. And so for Sean <laughs> 11, let's disappoint him. The sec should be out. If Georgia loses and Texas needs to get in, if they win, if Georgia loses, Two SEC teams get in. Probably. More than likely. So if you don't Alabama's like the SEC, getting root in. for Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, Alabama's yeah. unequivocally getting in. Yeah. Oh, Jesse. We finally get to stop talking about this. They're going to play the games, and the next time we talk about these rankings, they'll be the ones that count. It'll go from email to meeting for real. That's right. That's right. And as Elias said, In a business meeting, people can talk other people into dumb ideas all the time. I cannot wait for this dumb idea that we call the college football playoff. It's coming. We got one more ranking, and it's the one that counts. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate it. All right, guys. We got a lot more to talk about. Coaching carousel in full swing. Jobs filled. Jobs opening. One of the biggest ones filled so far, Texas A&M. When we return, Billy Lucci from Texags joins us to explain how the Aggies landed on Mike Elko, what he can do right now to make them better. But first, a word from game time. So all these conference championship games this weekend will tell us who makes the college football playoff. And I know what you're thinking. These things must have been sold out forever. How could I possibly get in? 
you can get in with game time. You want to go see Alabama play Georgia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta? You can do that. You can do it for a little over 300 bucks right now on game time. Do you want to see Oregon and Washington in the Pac-12 championship game at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas? You can get in there for less than 50 bucks right now on game time. It is truly amazing. The easiest and best way to get last minute tickets. Use the code staples and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. So you download the game time app. You search for the event you want. You take a look at the ticket. It's going to show you exactly where your vantage point would be in the stadium. A couple more clicks and you are done. You've got your tickets. If you want to transfer them on game day, you can do that via text. And the price is the price. No haggling in front of the stadium. No looking for a person holding two tickets up or three tickets up in their hands. No, you get it on game time. You know you've got your tickets. You know you're going to your event. Works the same way for concerts, comedy shows, you name it. So download that game time app. Use the code STAPLES. $20 off your first purchase. Now it's time to talk a little Texas A&M with our friend Billy Lucci from Texags. Quite a very interesting week for the Aggies. The coaching search was going on. They thought they had one coach. That didn't work out. And then they hired the guy that I think most of us figured they'd hire all along. Here's Billy. Billy Lucci, executive editor at TexAgs.com, the grand poobah of all things Texas A&M. You got a new coach in Aggieland, Billy. How does everybody feel about Mike Elko? Pretty fired up, Andy. I think over the last couple weeks, um, Aggie fans have been kind of all over the map, not really knowing what was coming. And Mike Elko was a guy that from the very beginning, I think if you asked most A&M fans, they'd say that'd be a really nice hire. Um, they they wanted to see what the, you know, I'm talking about the fans, what the interest was nationally by some of the, the biggest names in coaching. Were they able to take that swing and do that Jimbo Fisher type hire again or what LSU did with Brian Kelly, USC Lincoln Riley. That wasn't ever going to happen. It's a hard hire to make. I don't think AM intended to swim in those waters. And uh, there were some rumors about Ryan Day late, Dan Lanning early, never real things. And I think AM stayed a pretty steady course in what they were looking for and and Elko ended up being the last guy standing. So how how did they get into the Mark Stoops conversation? Because that's mm-hmm. that's the one I think, as you said, if we went to the average Texas A&M or, or, or the Texas A&M Board of Regents, if we went to them yep. on the day that Jimbo Fisher was fired and said, hey, at the end of this search, Mike Elko will be the new coach, I think most people are like, that sounds very reasonable. So yeah. – how did the, the Stoops conversation happen in the middle of that? I think what happened, Andy, is you had a very small group, couple, three people that were kind of tasked with, hey, you guys, here, here are the parameters. Here's kind of what we have in mind for the contract. And uh, you guys go out and, and find us a coach and come back to us and we'll have the final say along with you. We'll talk about it and wait, you know. And I think in a perfect world, nothing gets out about Mark Stoops. But you know, and I know, that never rarely ever happens. You and I were both mentioning him on, on what was it, Friday when we yeah. were talking about it. Um, it doesn't happen that way. So they, 
I think in a perfect world that never comes out and they meet and the regents and, and the high end donors that, that, that matter. And it's a, you know, it's, there's a few of them say, no, 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 no. I don't like that. Let's revisit that. And then people say, Hey, he's only had this many wins. You know, this is his SEC rate. How's this going to move the needle? Our fan base is going to be really, uh, there's going to be a very low level of excitement. All those things they can discuss behind closed doors. And I say that as a guy that, that mentioned him on Friday and then it took steam Saturday. And then by Saturday night, I'm saying, Hey, this is going to be the hire, uh, barring it falling apart at the last minute. Well, that's exactly what it did because they got in there and they were presented with that hire and it was literally at the finish line. And they said, no, 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 no. And it wasn't like Mark Stoops did not say no to it. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. And they can say that all they want. Yeah. And they, they were about to offer. They knew he was taking it. Uh, You know how this goes with the conversations and stuff. And before that happened, it was like an agreed upon, like, hey, we're going to do this. They got there and they said, just like coaches do all the time, you've been doing this how long? How many coaches do you know that maybe even sometimes the general public doesn't that are about to take a job and then it falls apart? Head coach, assistant coaches, whatever. That happened, but on the A&M side this time. Right. And the thing is, it's always semantics when we say, we didn't offer the job to anybody else. Mm-hmm. But in this case, like you have to get final approval on a contract before you can extend the offer. And mm-hmm. it, you had the, the check yes or no box was checked. You know, Mark Stoops had checked the yes box and, and Texas mm-hmm. A&M had checked the yes box. But until they got board approval on that contract, they can't extend a formal offer. Yeah. And that's when, because, you know, I, I talk to these agents all the time and, they're all the, the they are the most nervous people in right. all of this because you you and I are like oh you guys have got a deal you've got it they want to see the they they call it an MOU a memorandum mm-hmm. memorandum of understanding they want to see that they want to see yeah. it in writing or they don't believe anything's done and that's exactly what happened here it didn't get approved the the formal offer wasn't made and everybody kind of went back to their own side. And, and I think you, you said it really well on Saturday night. This is probably a better for all parties situation that Mark Stoops goes back to Kentucky. They get to feel like, Hey, our guy was wanted, but we got it. He's our guy. And they might've, they might appreciate him and just not knowing Kentucky as much, but just seeing how this all went down. They might appreciate him a lot more that they came that close to losing him. Um, he's and, done remarkable yeah, they were, things. They were there. him after the South Carolina game, like, mm-hmm. the, and, and that's the thing. They're in the they're in the the zone of hey, we're now paying this guy a lot of money. We're starting to to upgrade our expectations. He would have been jumping into even higher expectations at Texas A and M, and you got to be able to get to. And, and I think Mark Stoops would have been able to get really good players at A and M. I have no yeah. doubts about him as a recruiter. It is my my questions about Mark Stoops, and he he actually claims he's going to answer these next year with, with how he lets his offensive coordinator work, but he's mm-hmm. never really let his offensive coordinator work freely. Like they've always had a kind of stagnant offense. And I, and that worried me. Yeah. That's what worried me about because A&M that's, that was Jimbo. That was the, if, if you at the end of the day said, what, well, why didn't it work? The first, if you, I give you one word, and you would say either some people would say like stubborn or, but I would just say offense, just let's keep it real simple. So that worried me about Stoops and, and, and 
that does not worry me about Elko, even though he's a defensive coach. And and by the way, Andy, I think by the time everyone went to bed Saturday night, so this is in a very short span, I think everyone said no, yes. And, and, yeah. and by the time they ruled that out, before they went to sleep that night, it was Mike Elko and everyone that it was involved in the chain from Ross Bjork to board members. to It was yes, Mike Elko. And I believe Elko probably woke up probably woke up Sunday morning to uh, God knows how many texts and his agent and and A&M. And and all of a sudden he went to bed, probably thinking Mark Stoops had the job, woke up realizing uh, that it was his if he wanted it. So pretty, pretty productive nights, fruitful nights sleep for Mike Elko on on Saturday. Well, it's interesting because I do think this is one where Mark Stoops resume hurt him. You know, he's got a, he's got a track record of, of that kind of offense. We've yeah. seen Mike Elko for two years as a head coach. It does not seem like he wants to put any limitations on his offense. Now we we got to see him with a very special quarterback in Riley Leonard. That was yeah. a that was a really good situation. But he should be capable of getting multiple special quarterbacks at Texas A and M. Might have that, one right now. Connor Wigman, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and well, shoot, Riley Leonard may be the transfer portal. Although the smoke is, is Notre Dame for him. But Elko would be playing against him, coaching against him game one next year, Kyle Field. <laughs> well, maybe that's why Elko was complaining about the transfer portal when he was <laughs> so. still the coach. But right? yeah, it, it is really a, a, an interesting situation because I, I, I think you're exactly right. I think this is the name that popped into everybody's head initially. Mm-hmm. And now I want to talk about Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, because I think there's an argument to be made that where where things kind of fell off was when he left. I think so. I think absolutely. He he had some great defenses at AM. Uh they led the SEC at least once, if not twice. They led the SEC in run defense once or twice, which they never do. Um, and I think DJ Durkin did a solid job here. But Mike Elko was doing a great job. And he was doing it, he was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And it wasn't always perfect but they were I think they were still while he was here they were certainly still trying to build up that talent level on the back end that was where they, they and, and to be honest with you they're still not there for whatever reason so when he comes in I think that's going to be an absolute top priority for him when he's looking at this roster and he's looking at recruiting and portal and all those things but he was he was doing it with he didn't have a lot of speed on the back end. He really didn't. And uh and they were still putting out outstanding top 10, top 15 defenses. Uh and that's where Aggies fell in love with them because they love their defense. They love their defense at Aggieland. They love their wrecking crew. And I think that's where it has to start. People were giving Ross a hard time with his data points that well, yeah, of course, every team that wins a championship has great. But I do think what he was saying is they felt like it has to start with defense to win this conference more than any because it travels. You are going, you know, in theory, every one of the contenders is going to have explosive offenses. So you have to have that defense when that game comes along where you have to win it 20 to 17 or 24, 21. And also when you're playing, 2019 LSU or, or or Bama with all those receivers they had, the Ruggs and Judy and Devontae Smith and Watt. Like, so when you do get in those shootouts, like even Georgia has done in this Kirby Smart run, 
you've got to be able to come up with with that stop when you need it. And, and so I'm, and that's Elko and that's defense. Yeah, and and it's the difference between this year's LSU team and a team that can potentially win the national title because yeah. that LSU offense is certainly national title caliber. For but you sure. have to stick it with Georgia's defense or with Alabama's defense to actually win yeah. one. And and so Elko was there for for the construction of that 2022 class for most of it. That that mm-hmm. that part I don't worry about much either with the recruiting piece of it. But I yeah. I am interested because one thing that the camp our friend Bruce Feldman wrote a story about that you know the the downfall of Jimbo Fisher and one of the things he said mm-hmm. is is in that class there seemed to be a little bit of star chasing going on. I wonder mm-hmm. with Mike Elko who who at a place like Texas A&M will be capable of signing four stars and five stars a lot. But mm-hmm. a guy who cut his teeth at Hofstra, at Bowling Green, at Wake Forest, how much more will his evaluation skills come into play when he's yeah. evaluate? Because because we all, you and I both know that the difference between a guy in the in the top two fifty and a guy in the top fifty. The, the 249th guy may wind up being better because he's got almost the same physical tools, but something different mentally, some different character makeup. That's And that's where I feel like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban really make their hay. Mm-hmm. That's what Mike Elko's got to be able to do. I always love when A&M's going after a, a three-star or a, a you know not a five-star type that Georgia and Bama – are going after or from Louisiana that LSU really wants. Like, yeah, you, you're talking about those type guys. And Mike Elko's done that. You know, you look at AM, they're, they're one of their best corners is Tyreek Chappelle. That's a guy he and uh, Elijah Robinson went and got. Fadil Diggs is a guy mm-hmm. that they went and got out of New Jersey who was, you know, he's a good four star, but it wasn't like what you're talking about. These no brainer five star, everybody in the country wants them. But the thing that Bruce wrote, and I, I, I get what he's saying. I do think there was some of that, but I, we're all take it in a little bit different direction. I don't think they were star chasing in terms of, and look, you know how it is in these buildings. You've got 50 recruiting people. You find the right one. You find a guy at another school that coached here that got fired by Jimbo, because trust me, there's a few of them uh, in, in the recruiting department. And you find the right guys to talk to, and they'll – They'll take their shots. You find old coaches. You find, but I do think there's some truth in there too. But what I'll say is this: more than star chasing, Andy, I think it was like talent chasing, minus what you just talked about. That that does that kid have? Does that kid have what Anaya Smith has? Right. What? what because when Jimbo competitive character. Yes, and, and guess what? Anaya Smith gets the nil. He but he goes out there and balls. And he goes out there and works in the offseason. And when, when he's playing Alabama, yeah, when he's playing Alabama, that level goes up. You know, that that's Anaya Smith. That's not Chris Marshall. That's not Demond Demas. You know, so I think it wasn't about star chasing because everyone, including Mike Elko, are going to want the yeah. five stars. I think it, 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 and he didn't overlook. You look at Noah Thomas. That was one of those guys. I just think. They got caught up in the raw talent on some of these guys thinking we know there are issues there. You know, LSU, a lot of programs right now are dealing with these guys that left A&M that didn't even last a year. Or, or not there dealing were red with f- more in the case of uh, – Yeah, 
Yeah. So star chasing maybe, but I think talent chasing and overlooking red flags yep. because of that talent level, it's kind of the same thing, but it's not. I'm taking it maybe a little step further to say they were enamored with the talent and the ability so much so that they overlooked the character. And I think Jimbo, one of his, uh, you know, one of his fatal flaws in this thing was thinking that he could, he could fix it with, with these individual players. But when you get too many of them and then it's, it's, it's not the same kid as it was 10 or 15 years ago, it's hard to do. And I think that's what, what caught up to them with the, with that class in particular. Well, and I also think that's where a guy who who's had to recruit to Wake, who's had to recruit to Notre Dame, which is its own kind of unique yeah. animal, where you you can get four and five star guys, but you have to they have to have a little something different. It's a little smaller pool, but that I think probably hones your your radar on that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I'm really fascinated to see how Mike Elko constructs these classes, what he goes for in the transfer portal, what he's looking for, and also. You know how much of that roster remains because he looks at it and says, "Oh, you know, I remember you from recruiting. I really like. We want you to stay. We're going to make sure you, you know, th that you stay." I, the the way that roster looks by spring practice, I am I'm very curious to see. Yeah, and I think first of all, and, and you know, like a good number of these guys, he actually coached for a year. Yeah, you know, I was sitting there at the presser yesterday, and there was Fidel Diggs and. He's a junior. It's like he he played for him. You know, you got – and then Shamar Stewart was there at the presser where he recruited Shamar. Um, I think ultimately what I'm, what I'm most fascinated to see in, in, is that recruiting aspect and how he assembles his staff. Also, that this OC hire is so interesting to me because Kevin Johns did a damn good job there in Durham. Yeah. But he's also going to – if he wants to, and I'm not saying either way yet because I don't know the answer to this, but if he wants to, he's got essentially a blank check mm -hmm. to go out and, and, and hire not whoever he wants, but in that ballpark anyway. So that that hire, that OC decision is going to be pretty fascinating to me, too, because like you said, they had Riley Leonard this past year. and He was special. Connor Wigman looked pretty special before the injury this season himself. Agreed. Well, an $11 million staff pool will, will give you a lot of options. So I, I will be very interested to see what he does. Billy, great work keeping us all informed on, on that craziness over the weekend because that was that was changing by the minute. So, that was wild. It was wild. Uh, not a lot of sleep these last couple weeks. Well, go get some sleep. And uh, Perfect. Yeah, I, I, was, I was ready to let you make the hire. At a certain point, so, <laughs> hey, you, you know. and I do it like you and I would have put. No, hey, I know hired Jimbo, remember? So for for those who don't sure, know, which hired him at Chimmy's the, the spring before, uh, Jimbo got hired at A and M. So this was this would have been the spring of of 2017. Uh, I'm in I'm in College Station doing some interviews, and Billy says, "Hey, let's go grab a beer at, at, at Chimmy's right across from campus." It's the beginning of Chili Fest, so I, which I don't I, I had no idea what that was. But I'm like, why is everybody dressed in, in boots and cutoffs? And so it's it's a bunch of 20-year-olds just getting hammered before they go out to Chili Fest. And me and Billy are like, you know, there's really only one guy that they could get that would that would be the one they really want. And we, we were like, but nah, they never get Jimbo Fisher. Right. And then we were like, would they though? <laughs> would they? And then by the time we by the time we were on like Dos Equis number two, we decided they would. 
<laughs> yes. And so, uh, sorry, Ross Bjork, we cost you $77 million. Hey, it's funny though, Andy, before you go, like if you think about it, and the, I think the AM fans understand this, and that's why they're so fired up about Elko. But it's hard to get make a hire like Jimbo Fisher. It's hard to get a guy like Brian Kelly out of Notre Dame. It's hard to get Lincoln Riley to leave OU. But there are reasons those guys are, are attainable. You know, it, it's it's almost like it's personal. They're personal reasons. Like, and unless that's the case, you even if a And M people think a And M's got all the money in the world. Well, Ryan Day's got all the money in the world. Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, uh, Dan Lanning. Like, there's got to be some reason they're wanting to move. And and those instances are not often. Like people thought Day might have that because. That you know they're pissed that he lost to Michigan, or they think Dabo wants it because he's unappreciated, and those are things to look into. But it's still a big difference between that and saying, "Yeah, I'm going to uproot and move and leave this incredible job and pay." At the end of the day, Dabo wants to make it work at Clemson. Ryan Day wants to get the Michigan thing right at Ohio State. Like that's how they feel, and that's why those conversations don't go anywhere. But but you're Mm -hmm. exactly right. Now, I I think. They got a guy who's got a pretty high ceiling. So we, we will see what happens. But, Billy, thank you so much. All right, Andy. Thank you, buddy. That's Billy Lucci from Tech Sags. And, yeah, we uh, we did get that Jimbo thing figured out pretty early, but I don't think we predicted how that was going to end up. I think we thought it might work out a little better back when we were hatching that, that plot that Texas A&M ultimately ended up doing and it ultimately ended up costing them a whole, whole lot of money. That's all right. Sometimes you get the coach that you really want, who makes your dreams come true, and sometimes you don't. Two schools that did, Georgia with Kirby Smart, Alabama with Nick Saban, they are playing one another in the SEC championship game on Saturday in Atlanta. Georgia winning creates a pretty smooth selection of the college football playoff. There might be some controversy, but just a, just a, a dash Alabama winning who boy then things get really spicy this game is going to be amazing Georgia and Alabama let's talk to Tim Watts from Bama online and of course we got to start asking about that gravedigger play that ended the Iron Bowl okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're joined now by the great Tim Watts of Bama Online and Tim. As the snap was coming on fourth and, and goal from the 31, what was going through your mind? You know, I'm old. You know, I don't know what goes through my mind in those moments anymore, but I was just watching. You know, I'm a nervous watcher when I watch games or any any of my teams when they're in crunch situations. I was smoking a cigar on my back porch, and I was uh, actually raking or brooming the leaves off that my wife never does. And I was just standing there. I was shocked. You know, I mean, when they, you know, the pass is completed. And I was thinking, like, man, Jalen sure looks like he's looking for something. This isn't a Hail Mary. This isn't a bunch. 
three receivers to the right, and he's tossing it up. He's looking like he's trying to find something. And when that ball went in the corner, and I saw one-on-one, you know, and it happened so fast, but I saw it was one-on-one. Knew Isaiah's a really good athlete, but to catch it, and, you know, I have to give major props to Isaiah Bond. This guy was – he was a track guy two years ago, right? That was the kitty be a receiver, and that's a professional catch, you know, the slide. Yeah, that, that's an NFL touchdown. He got Absolutely. both feet in. Clear space, you know, the hole pushed off. No, his arm was being held. He cleared space, body blocked, two hands, two feet, cradled to the ground, which was also important and also a great throw. So, um, Jordan Hare, that's something else, isn't it, when it, when, when Alabama's in town? It, it is It is unbelievable. And I, I've always said there are days at Jordan Hare where it doesn't matter who comes in you're going to have a problem. Like I, the 2017, which is a year that they also beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl, but that Georgia team that, that ended up playing Alabama for the national title comes in. They were number one in the country, and they got blown out. And that's one of those days where you heard the stadium roar when the home team came on the field, and it was like, nope, it doesn't matter how good Georgia is. They're losing a day. Yeah. And, and it felt like that way for Alabama for most of that game. It felt like even when they would catch a break, then the snap sails past Jalen Milrow. It was an emotional roller coaster. And when you look at, like, the setup was terrible for Alabama, if you think. Auburn loses and gets routed by New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. The visual was terrible walking in there. And then you come out, you're 7 to nothing. offense looked great. You're 14 nothing. you get a hold. You get a, you know, a shaky punt, and then it's 7 to 7. And momentum is every – on the road especially. You know, that's like at Kentucky – you remember, and even, you know, they, they went down and took control, but when they had that turnover, gave them a little life, it was more of a game. Because those fans, you know, if you're Auburn fans, they're, it's a great crowd. I mean, that's a great environment. It's always been that way. Um, and they're going to – you leave them in that game, and they're going to they're gonna fight. You know, they're going to be there till the end. So now Alabama, which we, we thought they would be because we thought they were going to beat Auburn, but it took a miracle to do it. But now yeah. Alabama is the ultimate agent of chaos – in the college football player. What's interesting with Alabama is not that they don't need to do anything but win. But if they win, they're going to make the playoff and it just drops a firecracker in with everybody else. Absolutely. I mean, you think the committee, I mean, I know I'm not saying they're biased, but they have to be recruiting, rooting for Georgia, right? Oh, they yeah. have to want that to make it simplistic. You know what I mean? Because if Bama wins, you know, you got the Florida State situation with the quarterback out. You've got Oregon and Washington probably going to swap losses against each other. Michigan's soundly in. I mean, what I just – you leave and Alabama Texas sitting out. there with a win against Alabama, which yeah, that makes it even more complicated. Yeah, I mean, it blows my mind to even think that Georgia could be out with a loss because I still find it hard to believe Georgia's not a top-four team. Alabama mm-hmm. could be out after beating a team, riding a 30-whatever game win streak. That blows my mind. Somehow Texas could be out at Florida. I mean, yep. there's never been a better case. I'll tell you this. I think if you take the four teams who don't make the Final Four and make their own little Final Four, I was talking about with this with Travis Ryder this morning on BOL, and make an NIT-type tournament, I think it'll every oh, bit rival the, the people watching and the NCAA version of it. That that would be a lot of fun, actually, the, the next four Ohio tournament. State? Yeah, Ohio State well, would be in it. Well, and, and this – Next year will be a 12-team playoff. You know, what Alabama will be playing for in this situation is it, – it's interesting because the stakes of this game next year would be the winner of Georgia-Alabama gets a bye. They're both in. Mm-hmm. 
And then the question, like if Alabama lost, the question would be, does Alabama go on the road first round? Yeah. Or do yeah. they, or do they finish eight and get a home game? Like it, there's a lot of layers to the next version of this, but this version of this is so interesting. Like the Texas piece of it. I think Tim, if Alabama beats Georgia and Texas beats Oklahoma state, they're both get Alabama and Texas are both getting in. Cause Al, like the Alabama being I think you have to put Alabama in at that point and you cannot put Alabama in without Texas one spot above them. Yeah. It's a, that's kind of what they've established at this point, but <clears throat> again, blows my mind to think Georgia could be out. Um, blows my mind to think Alabama could be out with a win. FSU's in the, you know, clearly would have probably been in with an undefeated season in the quarterback. How do you adjust for that? Mm -hmm. um, struggle a little bit, you know, obviously struggled against a, a Florida team that's not that good. So, I mean, I can't, I think right now it's good to be Michigan, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're good. You feel Playing good Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're hey, feeling safe. Hey, yeah. I feel good if I'm Michigan. I feel pretty good if I'm Oregon, right? You got to, you know, you Just probably win. win. Yeah. You probably win and get in your 10 point favorite, which is crazy. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's a lot of people sitting there on the edge of their seats and yeah. I'm, I love it. I'll be honest. I love we're discussing. I know there's very good chance there's something frustrating. Happening. There's going to be some mad people I'm guessing yeah. on this final four, but I'm here for it. I do think maybe jumping from four teams to 12 is a little bit extreme. I don't know how they skipped eight, but, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I just feel like you should learn as you go and eight, cause you're not going from 12 to eight later on. No. And most years, how many years has there ever been eight good teams worthy? It's well, hard to find year, four good teams. This year might be that year because like it's, Ohio State may be the eighth, and they can probably compete with, with everybody else. I agree. On a no, given no, no. day. This is the year, but most years we're yeah. talking about four teams, and there's we're we're saying two teams are the best, and then one team's okay, and then please let us play the other team in the in the first you're, round. You're not you're not thinking like a TV programmer tim that's, that's what, what, what you want is, is some exciting games in that first round that lead to exciting second round games and then after that every like let, let the cream rise at that point but well, schedule for the sec it's a blessing for them to go to 12 teams because you're going to be really hard to go undefeated with that schedule i was looking at alabama's yes. schedules that i mean george is opening with clemson Alabama's got a crazy schedule. Uh, Billy Napier, Texas and Michigan a, open together. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You're not probably not. So, you know, you go from there's going to be some two losses team in the top two loss teams in the top 12. I mean, this year you'd be talking yeah. about Ole Miss, right? I mean, oh, yeah, we'd be, be talking well, about Ole Miss, Ole, Miss team. Ole Miss or Missouri or both would make the playoff. That's what I'm so, saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When you when you get to that level, so I'm all about I'm all about more football, but. I do. I'm wondering if we're not going to end up with more games in the season than the NFL at some point. It's well, the the FCS I believe is 2014 playoff now, so we'll we'll see. I hey, I, I think 12 would. Let's do 12 for a little while before we do, before we move hey, on. I'm at the point. Let's just do 64 and make it like the uh, NCAA March Madness. Let there you go. It. Let them earn it. <laughs> Those poor guys, I, like we, we sit there in the middle of February, like okay, we're 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 going to the national championship game. We're ready to go. You can't um, tell me you wouldn't love to see a fan base, a football fan base, celebrating. They're in the Sweet Sixteen. Oh my God! Just well, hanging yeah. that. Hey, what about hanging that banner the first time? How much ridicule are you catching for that? Well, shoot, Tim, you, you're you're looking at it from the Bama perspective. There's there's For plenty sure. of schools that are going to be thrilled to hang that we got in the Absolutely. 12 team playoff banner. So, you know, but but they don't feel that way at Alabama. 
they, they they feel like they play for championships and they are playing for one on Saturday, Tim, against a Georgia team that will be the best team they've played all year. How do you think that these guys match up? I think it's like it's always been. I mean, you look at the games they've played, no matter who won, they've been incredible matchups, especially since Kirby Smart's been there. I mean, they're kind of mirror programs when you look at it. I mean, they, you know, it's not surprising they recruit the same type of players. They kind of run the same type of system. Alabama's offense has been a little advanced, and Georgia's certainly catching up. They're more of a passing team than a running team to me this year, which I'd never really thought I'd say, but I said the same thing about Alabama. So, kind of that mirror image of each other. A lot of crossover. You got coaches, you got players, you know, and every game, there's no reason to think this isn't going to be a good game because every game so far has been fantastic. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't seem to matter the circumstances since Kirby got to Georgia. It does feel like these programs are just on the same level and maybe nobody else is on their level. I guess we'll find out once the playoff starts this year, but yeah, that that's the part, the way Alabama's evolved this year, you know, if, if we'd have been having this conversation, maybe after the Ole Miss game, I, I don't know that I would have given Alabama much of a chance in this game, but, but now I look at it and think, you know what? They, if Milrow can can take care of the ball and when a running opportunity presents itself, keep the chains moving, this could be a really fun game. Yeah, I don't think this is the kind of guy I don't think Kirby Smart or Nick Saban like to play against in the Jalen Milrow. I mean, you play the guys that have the plays that are unexpected. You know, uh, the mm -hmm. LSU quarterback's a prime example of that. That's not an offense he's running. He's pulling and tucking. I mean, he's running, yep. he's doing a lot of things. You can't plan for a guy to scramble 85 yards for a touchdown, 52 yards yep. for a touchdown. Now, Jalen has that ability for Alabama. Carson Beck's a little bit more of a drop-back passer, obviously doesn't run as much. But really, when you're looking, you know, I feel like Carson Beck's glow-up hasn't really got the attention you probably expected it to because, you know, Jaden at LSU's been so good and Jalen at Alabama's been so good. But Carson Beck and Jalen Milrow, Got a little dueling banjos things here from sitting yep. and waiting, getting their chance to shine, and both having really good years. Well, and we've only actually seen like a game and a half of mostly healthy Lad McConkey and mostly healthy Brock Bowers on the field at the same time. And that sure. game and a half is terrifying if you're a defensive coordinator because it feels like Georgia can kill you in any way it wants when it has all of the offensive weapons on the field. Yeah, I think this game's a little bit of a flip for me because I think the biggest matchup is Alabama's defense versus Georgia's offense, and I don't think we've ever even came close to saying that, right? It's usually no. been, it's usually been lately, you know, the, the Georgia defense versus a Alabama offense, but I think Alabama's defense for them has to set the tone here. They've got to limit the big plays. I don't think you're going to shut out Brock Bowers because they get him the ball behind the line of scrimmage. They get him a ball in, in a lot of ways. It's not like he's just running routes. So I think you just got to hope to contain him, the old cliche. Um, you know, you got to control the running game and not give up big plays. And Alabama's defense has been pretty steady about that, not giving up the big, you know, the big play. Yeah, and and hope that no new hero emerges. I mean, I like the Ole Miss Georgia game, Dylan Bell, like you realize, oh my God, this guy can do everything. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and you hadn't seen him do that much of the, this season. So that that's the other piece of it is is with Georgia, there's a lot of pick your poison going on there. But with Alabama, the, the Milrow thing, you make such a great point about how he can create unexpected yards. And it's funny because everybody's killing Hugh Freeze for rushing two. But one of the reasons you rush two is because if you rush four or five and Jalen Milrow slips the pocket, 
there's fewer guys sitting on the goal line to tackle him. Like, mm-hmm. if you rush four or five, Jalen Milrow might run for a 31-yard touchdown. Now, what you know, we, we saw said, was more miraculous. But and we've said this several times on the show. Milrow's a big boy running down the field. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily feel like a – you know, you don't necessarily like it if you're a defensive back. You know, you're smaller yeah, than Milrow. Yeah. yeah, you're smaller than Milrow, and he's running full steam ahead. That's a big, big kid. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I think on any play like that, I mean, they're going to criticize. If he'd have rushed four, they'd it have caught a scene. Yeah. What if they'd caught a scene with Isaiah Bond, who's fast mm-hmm. as Grease Lightning? I mean, there's yeah. we've seen those plays be successful other ways. I think you like your chances with everybody in the goal line, and it was very yeah. weird. And, and also, the play had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, playing mm-hmm. the devil's advocate for Auburn's fan, it took a perfect play to beat you because, first of all, he threw to, you know, to the edge, and he was yeah. sort of leaning in to the end zone. So he threw him open. Yeah. Tiny window to throw that ball into and a great catch. And and here's this is the thing that makes what is going to happen Saturday so much fun. You know, a lot of offenses, they can only beat you a certain way. Alabama's offense just showed you they can beat you in a bunch of different ways, including that way. Georgia's offense, we know, can beat you in a ton of ways. We don't know how this is going to play out. We just know both of these teams have great players who can do a lot of things and make it look different when they need to, to adapt to whatever's getting thrown at them. I can't wait. I I cannot wait, Tim, for this game. That's how I am. I mean, you've got this game, you you know, it's been, it's kind of fitting to end this year before we go to the crazy 12 person playoff and everything else. It's going to change. I mean, the bowl game, this bowl game, I mean, SEC championship game is always going to be something, but if you're already in the playoffs, you've already locked up a seed, a top four by whatever whatever the situation mm-hmm. would be, you might not be as interested in this game as in the well, past. You, but this, this, you can't yeah, get this, the bye without it, so I think you probably yeah. still be somewhat interested. But there is some relief, you know, when you're in because look, Georgia doesn't even yeah. know if they're in if they lose. So I this know. isn't like the scenario a couple of years ago, Bama beat them in the SEC championship mm-hmm. game, and Georgia was in no matter what. We knew it. So there right. that. there's urgency on both sides of this game. Bama has no chance with the loss, and Georgia's not a guarantee with the loss. So you're right. You How do you not – if you love college sports and love competition, is there any other game you'd have rather seen in the SEC championship this year? No, sir. No, sir. I, I, I'm going to Atlanta. I cannot wait. And uh, yes, we're going to talk about it afterward, I guarantee you, Tim. You didn't call me after that Sunday. I guess you figured I was hoarse or passed out or something. I I saw all those Alabama reaction videos, and I wasn't sure if you were one of those people, because I figured I was a, none of those hey, people, none of those people was, were sober when they got up Sunday morning either. I was all of those people. I wasn't one of them. I was I was feeling everything they felt. <laughs> oh, it was tremendous, Tim. And I was thank just you so sober much. to make it worse. <laughs> well, that that'll make you feel drunk. Well, I had a right nicotine there. high. Yeah, I had a nicotine high, no alcohol. So I had some stuff going on. All <laughs> right, Tim Watts, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Andy. Anytime, brother. That's Tim Watts. You can read him at Bama Online. If you are an Alabama fan and you are not already a subscriber to Bama Online, what are you waiting for? Bama Online is the original team site, the original. They started this whole thing. And it's the best Alabama coverage you can get. Elsewhere in Alabama, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl in Mobile, he is working very hard and has had to work a little bit extra because now they're going to let juniors 
into the senior bowl. I, I know what you're thinking. Do they have to change the name? Eh, we'll see, but they have an even bigger pool of applicants to choose from. And that has created some extra work, but also created some interesting extra dynamics. And uh, Jim has become a very interesting person to talk to about how college football works because doing his job requires him to find out a lot of information that we all would like to know because he's trying to find out, is this person staying in school or going pro or is this person potentially hitting the transfer portal and headed elsewhere? And I think we've seen some of this stuff play out this week. Will Howard from Kansas state, he's probably in the portal unless he decides to go pro interesting conundrum. And we're going to see that choice happen again and again and again. And Jim might be in the middle of some of these. So here is Jim Nagy from the senior bowl, helping explain college football in 2023. We are joined now by our friend, Jim Nagy from the senior bowl, the executive director of the Reese's senior bowl. And Jim, we haven't had you on in a few weeks because you've been very busy uh, the NFL decided that you can now take juniors in your game. So you, you've got even more roster management to do. And it, I want, does it feel like you're almost like a college coach now where you're trying to figure out who's coming in, who's going pro and who's going to the portal? I don't know what I feel like, but I do know it's a lot different than, uh, the first five years here. The last couple of years have been different. Um, the NIL stuff certainly changed the dynamic last year. We had a number of guys that accepted their invites, you know, in November. And, uh, and you know, head coaches aren't – they don't care what's going on in November with all-star games, right? Um, so then the season gets over, and someone on the staff tells the head coach, oh, by the way, so-and-so just – you know, he invite, he's going to the Senior Bowl. And the head coach is like, wait a minute now. We don't want to lose him. And then they, you know, they get the collective guys in the room, and they, they come up with enough money, and I'm getting a phone call you know, in, in uh, late December, early January, that the kid's going back to college. So um, so that's created some roster management element, and now the junior thing as well. Um, and we can't invite those guys until the season is over and they've officially declared. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's definitely – it, the process is way more fluid um, than it was even like two years ago. This thing – we would have our rosters locked in uh, I, December 10th every year, like 95% of it was pretty much locked in. We'd have a guy that, you know, would get hurt in a bowl game or, you know, got hurt in training or doing something. But we, you know, an agent would pull a guy after Daniel Jeremiah, put him in his in his top 50 yep. list or whatever, um, which happened with Devin Witherspoon last year. But uh, but it, but we felt pretty good about it early December. And now it's just, I mean, it, it's going to be fluid all the way, probably probably till we, we get guys here on, on January 28th. We're, we're always trying to figure out how NIL is evolving. And, you know, it, it's hard to get specifics. But I, I'm curious because we've heard anecdotally that schools are getting much better at figuring out who matters in terms of who's already played well there and, and retaining them on the roster rather than going out and, and blowing it on high school kids. Are you seeing more, you know, direct directed attempts to, to make sure they retain those best players who you might be looking at for your game or who might be looking at going to the portal and go somewhere else? Yeah, because there's there's not a lot of development going on anymore, Andy, right? So the guys they do develop, I mean, if you've spent time developing a player, you certainly don't want to lose them in the portal. Um, you've invested all that time, your staff's done, you feel like your staff's done a good job with that player. So yeah, for sure, these guys are trying to lock in the right ones. It's just like the NFL model, right? You, you draft a player, you, you get him through his first contract, 
Um, he does a good job for you. I mean, most teams want to re-sign that player and not let it, not let him walk. You invested all that time. You feel like you made a good draft pick um, and you want to get to a second contract with these guys. It's similar in college. You develop him for two or three years. You want to see him through to that junior, senior year. You don't want him to, to go somewhere else to a competitor and, uh, and have him play well there. So a lot of parallels right now between college and, and NFL. Well, and I, I noticed you guys, one of your defensive players of the week was, uh, was Jared Verse from, from Florida State. He's kind of a good example of that because did, did he accept an invitation to play in your game last year and then decided to, to come back? No, he hadn't, but Fabian Lovett, his teammate, had. And he That's went, right. That's right. Yeah, and Fabian went back. So, so yeah, he was one of the guys. No, Jared, Jared uh, you know, gosh, he's really coming on. I mean, that game the other right. night, he kind of he took it over late in that Florida game against your Gators. But, uh, but yeah, so Jared, Jared was an example of a guy last year that we scouted. I mean, the good thing for us is with the NF, NIL, like, we don't care when they come out. I mean, I don't care mm-hmm. if a guy goes back to school, great. I mean, we're not going to. We're trying to help schools, and that's that's probably another layer, Andy, that, that we should talk about is when we do our calls with NFL teams, some of the best information that came came up on the calls this year was like, hey, Jim, I was just through Athens, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to keep Carson back. So, yeah. uh, you know, the staff wants to keep Carson back. So we didn't send an invite to Carson back. You know, I've, I've, I've known Kirby, Kirby a long time. Those relationships with the college coaches mean, mean everything to us here. So we're not going to try to take a player – um, and again, he's not going to leave. He's not leaving Georgia just to play in the senior bowl. I'm not, right. I'm not that, I'm not that dumb. Um, it's, it's what's beyond the senior bowl that, <laughs> that we're talking about here. Yeah. Right. So we, we withheld some, some invites this year, knowing that schools are trying to get some guys back. And then I was going to wait till after the season to reach out to the head coach. Like I'll let Kirby get through the SEC championship game. And, and hopefully he and I can connect next week about, I mean, what's Carson going to do? I mean, where's he at now, now that you've made it through the regular season, because if he does come out, we certainly want him to play in our game, and I think our game makes a ton of sense. He's gaining he's gaining a lot of traction right now um, in the NFL scouting community. Um, but I also don't want to, you know, send an invite there and and uh, and damage something with, with Kirby and his guys. So um, just to, again, it's a lot of lot of relationships. Probably, I'll, I guess the key thing is a lot more communication uh, yeah. than, than ever had to take place. Well, and, and it's interesting because you you kind of become the 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 middle point for some of this information that's flowing back and forth where some of it may not have anything to do with you guys or your game or the NFL even. It's just that, you know, people are actually now looking to go to the transfer portal or, or go to a different school. And here you guys have all this information on who's good and who's not. Yeah. And that's a testament to our staff, Andy. We, we, we do this, you know, I believe in our process, we've got all these former NFL scouts on our staff with all these years of experience and credibility um, so yeah, that was happening over the weekend. Schools reaching out and asking about players and what what our thoughts were on certain players, and then conversely, agents calling because all these all these guys have NIL agents now. So mm-hmm. agents calling asking about you know would this be a good fit for our player? What what do you think of the play caller? What do you think of the offense? You know, or the defensive fit for this guy? So so yeah, I mean it's it's certainly different. We weren't taking those phone calls a couple of years ago, so this whole thing's changed. But I again, I got to give credit to our staff. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of credibility there with all our years in the league. I think we had 200 years of over 200 years of NFL experience on the staff this year. So uh, credit to those guys. I, I was enjoying your tweets after after the, the decision to let the juniors in. You had a tweet, the, uh, I think, last week about there's a lot of helmet scouting going on. 
you gonna be some people surprised when they see the the, the, the real draft versus the mock drafts. Well, Andy, I, I feel for I feel for those guys in the draft media because their their bosses are the ones that want them to crank out these mock drafts. You know, fifteen hours after the actual you know draft mm-hmm. takes place in April. Uh, so I do feel for them in, in that sense. But again, if you're doing if you're doing the twenty twenty three draft correctly, you shouldn't be watching tape for the twenty twenty four draft. That's why those. Those mock drafts that pop like the week after a draft are so laughable to me. There's no way you've put in enough work to know those players. But again, if you're running, you know, pick a media, pick a media site, you're not thinking about that. But uh, so what they do is they try to marry up production and how many years a guy started at a school like Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and Michigan and Alabama and throw those guys up in the mock first draft. Now, now, Again, I haven't been watching some of these guys, um, and now that I'm getting to put eyeballs on, I'm like, wow, that was uh, that was an egregious um, <laughs> that's an egregious uh, bump into a first round because of the school a guy was playing for. Well, there's always 150 first rounders until there's 32, so that's that's right. That's the problem. Uh, so you <laughs> now you you have to be judicious with your with your invites because of you know all all the stuff that's in flux. But you had a couple accepted from Texas the other day, and. Uh, couple guys I really like and one one we had on the show Christian Jones the offensive tackle uh love him you know grew up playing soccer came to football late uh what what did you see in him well you can see that soccer background in his feet um and Andy I know you've you've been to some some Texas games he is this guy's a mountain of a man now I mean not all, all these offensive linemen are big guys but but when you get up on Christian Jones, like he he's he is even he, he's even bigger than, than most. Uh, and he does. He's got really nice feet and he played his way in this year. Um, you know, I think to start the season, most teams had him as a late round guy, probably a sixth or seventh round pick. That's where we had him. Um, and he's really had a nice year. He's made a nice jump. I think right now he's kind of safely positioned, pos- positioned himself in like that fourth round area. Mm-hmm is a guy that teams could see as a starting right tackle in the league, or maybe even a swing tackle. So uh, yeah, he's, he's had a great year. He's that he's went out there and earned it this year. Well, and, and you also brought Byron Murphy and, and Byron's an interesting one. Cause I remember talking to somebody uh, at Texas in the off season and they said, we thought we might lose Byron last year, even though his production hadn't been that great. The, the scouts were telling us, Hey, he has all the the physical stuff that we want. And so, you know, you, you have everybody, looks at Tavondre Sweat and and what a job he's done. But Byron, it seems like the production is now matching some of the traits. Yeah, we got we got Sweat as well. That's a big yeah. a big inside combo. I mean you could argue they're the they're the best interior defensive uh tackle duo in the country this year in college football. Um and what they are they're they're such a contrast in body types and in play styles that um you would not want to be a center or a guard playing against Texas because both those guys give you something completely different um to 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 guard against um so yeah really good player a, a friend of mine in the league threw out the comparison for byron murphy of grady jarrett who uh oh, yeah who's, who's who's one of my favorite players i've ever scouted uh really was i mean i love grady jarrett coming out of clemson um and, and when he said that i'm like yep i see that just a really active athletic urgent um player has some violence to him i mean He's he's going to tear it up Senior Bowl week. I mean, this week is is created for a guy that's that disruptive and plays that hard. Um, he's going to get everyone's attention during Senior Bowl week for sure. So when you have a game like this SEC championship game between Alabama and Georgia, how useful is that tape for you guys? 
Um, it's great because you're watching NFL player against NFL player. You're seeing real matchups. Um, you know, one of the things that's made scouting much easier over the years has been the digitization of, of tape. Um, you know, back in the day, you just have to, had to roll through beta tape over and over, like back when you played at Florida. Um, but now, you like in my, my last job with the Seahawks, we could take, you know, we could filter it by grade. Like say that we had, we could, if you had a receiver you wanted to look at, we could filter all fifth. It's, we'll just watch them against all the corners we had graded in the fifth round or higher. So I mean, it's okay. it's that it's that specific. You can you can dial it down that that specifically. Um, but when you go to a game like that, I mean, you're getting eyeballs on you know corner wide out, tackle edge rusher. I mean, some really good NFL on NFL matchups live. Um, so it's great. I mean, those those games are. That's why I say LSU Alabama is always my favorite game of the year to scout and in uh, regular season game. And now when you get to this SEC championship game, Alabama, Georgia, um, and this is big boy football. I mean, this is, this is physical. This is, this is as close to an NFL matchup as you can get. So this is going to be the question you didn't know you were getting. This is the one I'd ask Bill Belichick if I had him on, because I think it's the only one he'd give me more than a 10 word answer on, but you got your long snapper last <laughs> week, Peter Bowden from, from Wisconsin. How do you scout a long snapper? How do you decide <laughs> out of all the long snappers in the country, this is the one I want to bring to my game? Well, um, the way we do it here at the Senior Bowl, um, I really I really farm a lot of that. I, I lean heavily on the uh, specialist guru community. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of guys out there in, in the different facets of kicking, punting, snapping. They there's, do a great like, job. There's like two, two guys for snappers, two or three guys, and yep, those are the yep. guys. Yeah. yeah. And they, and they, and they're, they're very open with us. They, then they know these guys better than anyone. They've been working with these kids since they were high schoolers in camps. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it, it's, it's, you know, velocity, accuracy, um, you know, then, then the, 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 probably the biggest component component going from college to the NFL is do they have the size and the strength to hold up when you actually rush them because you can't rush college snappers, which some some of your viewers might not know. So you're, you're looking for guys that are at least in that 6'1", 6'2", 240, 250 pound range um, that can can you know can can hold up in those a gaps when they're getting rushed. So, um, but yeah, we got our we got our guy from Wisconsin, and uh, and we got to add one more. We'll see. We got we got one more snapper to add. So, but but it's not like they shouldn't be sending you trick shot videos or anything like that. That's not gonna that's not gonna do it for them. No, but those are fun, man. I love. Uh, I mean, the specialist community on Twitter is, you know, like we do a lot on social media. The yep. specialist guys are fun, man. We've had some some fun trick shot stuff, kind of trick shot resume sent to the office over the years. It's because they have a lot of time on their hands at practice, Jim. That's <laughs> when, when, when everybody's blocking and tackling, they have to do something. When, when my first job in the NFL in 96 with the Green Bay Packers, our, our punter was Craig Hendrick and our kicker was Chris Jackie. And those guys during practice would be, this was when the Nintendo Game Boy just came out <laughs> yeah. and they would spend practice on, they would go out and kick at the beginning, then come in and I would, I'd go through the locker room. They'd be in there playing Game Boy um, during practice. So that, or they would leave and go work on their golf game before the weather got too bad. So yeah, those, those guys got the life. All right. You heard, you heard it long snappers. They need one more. <laughs> get, get, get to work. Jim, thank you so much. All right, Andy. Thanks, man. That's it for the show. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. Now, it's time for me to ask a favor of you. Tomorrow, Wednesday, 
Dear Andy Show, your questions are the stars. So I want to know what you want to know. Hit me up, Andy underscore Staples on Twitter, Andy underscore Staples on Instagram, or you can email me your question, Andy Staples on three at gmail.com. Don't be afraid to turn that camera on. Shoot your beautiful self on video asking that question. Become a minor internet celebrity for at least 30 seconds. You know I love your questions. You know I love Wednesdays because I get to answer those questions. Get them in. We'll talk to you again tomorrow night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.